This is the Pool Together Community Podcast. Pool Together is the world's number one no-loss prize savings account. You can visit pooltogether.com to deposit. You're listening to the Pool Together Community Podcast. And I'm your host, Millie Yearly, a.k.a. Tim, a.k.a. Hot Mike, a.k.a. Don't Ask Me How Many Cats I Have. And I'm here with Jay from the Stanford Blockchain Club. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Millie. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So tell me about how you got into crypto, like we always do on the podcast. And and then I would love to know how you got involved with the Blockchain Club. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Jay. I'm vice president of Stanford Blockchain Club. And basically, so I basically got into crypto about like a year and a bit ago when I was like working on my own projects, how do you actually use like a web three way to do digital publishing and create like a digital publishing house? So at Stanford, I'm actually a double major in computer science and philosophy. So I write a lot. I'm very interested in digital publishing and kind of like that content creation. I've done a couple of blogs before, gotten like 10, um, about 10,000 followers. But the problem with all of that is that like, it's very hard to monetize as like a creator. And even if you do monetize, a lot of the times the platform is going to take a lot of that. So I got into Web3 wanting to see if there were kind of Web3 mechanisms, whether that was through NFTs, whether that was through these other tokenization methods to actually allow me as a content creator in order to basically have a better earning and kind of have more custody over my own work. So I built my own project. It was like a Web3 publishing house type of idea. So kind of like Mirror XYZ, but it was, but like with like a content moderation mechanism. But eventually I ended up like sunsetting that at the end of like last summer, just because the macro was souring and it was really hard to like build a community. I started just writing more about Web3 freelance. And then some of that got picked up by a couple of VCs who were like, oh, hey, do you want to just start writing content for us? So I started getting into kind of like the, kind of like the venture part of the space. And this summer, I'm right now, I'm at Pentara Capital. So yeah, at Stanford, I mainly lead the research and content arm. So my big project has been the Stanford Blockchain Review, which is kind of like an industry magazine. So we collaborate with a lot of these research partners throughout industry, top articles. Um, so we collaborated with the group before um, and basically let like these protocols and also write about what they're interested in and what kind of excites them within the space at this moment. So kind of like a pulse check of the Yeah, so super excited to chat anything that like derives from that. I mean, I can talk also a little bit about standard watching if you guys want to hear about that. But. Yeah, I would love to I would love to hear about that. Just like what does VP mean? What are your responsibilities? That kind of just some insights into the club. Yeah, for sure. So we do quite a lot of stuff at the club. We have quite a few like verticals. So that includes like events, that includes research. We run actually like a Web3 entrepreneurship seminar as well, twice a year. So there's like that education part as well. So, and then we have the accelerator. So my own vertical that I'm mainly leading is research. I'm deliverable on that. It's basically our magazine. We, I also look at some of the governance stuff as well. We have governance for Uniswap. So that's how the club is gen- generally structured. Our president, Sophie, is mainly looking at like event sort of things. And then we also have our treasurer and then we also have our accelerator president as well. So those are kind of like the different arms. I think as like a student group, Stanford Blockchain Club does like quite a lot of things. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we're like yeah, a surprisingly sure. small like student group. So 
<laughs> you, but yeah. you have like a whole blockchain week coming up next week. So what does that look like? What is it? What is that? What, yeah. What's your role with that? Yeah. So basically, for that, it's mainly revolves around the Science of Blockchain Conference, which is one of the top like blockchain academic conferences basically in the world. It's run by Professor Dan Bonet's lab. It's a very prestigious conference. So this year, what we at Stanford Blockchain Club is doing is like a new thing is to, um, we're creating a pre-conference. So we're creating a pre-conference called BAS or the Blockchain Application Stanford Summit. So in which we're highlighting kind of more of the entrepreneurial, more of the industry, more of like the Stanford ecosystem side of things, as opposed to like the very rigorous academic conference that like Al, like that basically the professors are organizing because we hope to bring more of the community around Stanford while also showcasing some of like the highlights of our ecosystem, including top startups at our accelerator, as well as some of these like large articles as well. So we're gearing up for like Stanford Blockchain Week. There's also a bunch of other side conferences. There's, for example, the StarkNet conference. There is some stuff going on at Berkeley and some other stuff. So we're all wrapping these all together and bringing everyone together for like an entire week of events called Stanford Blockchain Week. So we're super excited for that. Me personally, I'm like going to be running around or doing a lot of the on-day stuff, helping out logistics. You know, it's the whole event organizing spiel. But yeah, super excited to see to see a lot of friends there. Okay, so you're a student. You're an intern at a VC firm. You are running this, you're helping to run this club with the events and stuff, and you're writing a ton, right? So like you're double majoring. So one major wasn't enough for you. You got a minor in French and you're cranking out the articles for different things personally and, and that sort of thing. So a couple questions. One, what is this fishy? You have like fishy on-chain, fishy philosophy kind of theme. So I want to know about that. And two, where do you find the time of the day? Oh, I, I guess like the fishy one is very interesting because so so my surname Yu in Chinese is actually like a homonym for fish. So that's kind of like where the fish part comes in. And I really right. like the idea of everything being very fishy because as like a philosophy major, like I'm very skeptical about, about a lot of things, stuff like that. So I don't really think for a lot of things you can have like concrete arguments. So a lot of this stuff is all very fishy in the sense that, you know, something seems fishy. And that's especially true, I think, for the crypto space. And that's why I took that as kind of like my personal signature type of thing. And then combining it with like, you know, I could not resist the pun on like philosopher. So so it's like fishy philosopher. That's kind of like why that's been like my personal brand thing. That's right. So so does that mean that you focus mostly on, are you mostly interested in epistemology? Like how do we know things, you know? Because of like how what you just said is like things are fishy. Like how can you actually know or you're skeptical on things? So is that is that yeah, the bent yeah. that you go? Yeah. Kind of. I would say yes and no. My special focus is more on philosophy of language, actually. So I do a lot of stuff on like Wittgenstein and especially on like some of Wittgenstein's later writings about how like the meaning of language lies in its use. Stuff like that. So I look more on that side of things as well as its connection with like literature. How do you actually, how does a piece of literature, for example, try to present the world, present like an experience that's something that it's not actually like exists in the world. If you look at a Harry Potter novel or something, how does A.K. Rowling actually like portray an entire world through language and how are we able to receive that? That's kind of like my focus on philosophy. 
So yeah, it's kind of like separate. It's kind of separate from like crypto. But I guess the thing with crypto is that I feel like it's a very, it's actually a very ideologically driven space. And that's something that I've came to realize the more that I've been in the spaces. Actually, a lot of the, a lot of like the ideological side of things about how do you actually realign incentives to make sure that, for example, creators get what they actually deserve. And as well as like, how do you ensure data permanence and what is, there's like a lot of philosophical implications behind that. If you look at the logic, the entire like network state idea, right? So that's also been kind of like one thing that's kept me within the space, I would say. So then you're also doing research, right? So with this internship, it's basically like a, a research role. Is that accurate? Yeah, it, it, there's like a lot of like research stuff that, that go that like that we do, whether that's, you know, internal like memos and stuff like that, or kind of like external like public facing content. I think a lot of it like overlaps with what I've been doing like beforehand. For example, in the Stanford Blockchain Review, it's very much like a very similar process. I'm very used to that. And for me, I feel like writing and like output is a way for me to actually learn and grow as within the space myself. And I think that's a very valuable part. And one of the drivers as to why I want to use writing as a way of I kind of like my niche into the space. Um, I guess going back, this kind of also leads back to looks like how do I manage all of like my time given like all of the different hats that I wear. It's kind of just like finding these sorts of like overlaps that like you can actually snowball in. For example, if I'm researching like a certain space, a certain vertical in crypto, like I could use that, write some memos. I could use that to write a content piece. I can also use that to like invite some speakers, do some interviews, et cetera, et cetera. It's all like it goes along the big theme and they all kind of like coalesce with each other to form like a bigger narrative for me. And that I think is how I managed to jump around. <laughs> That's really great. But do you, I, inevitably though, you're going to be pulled by something, right? So like something's going to take priority and then, it, you know, so, so like you could be doing research, right? But then like really you're intrigued about the philosophical, you wanna go more philosophy, whereas like the thing that's paying the bills might be the research. You know, so how do you balance that as a student? I mean, you're an undergrad student, right? So you're like, you got your future, you got you, you got your, you, know, you, you got everything in front of you, and then it's just like, okay, how do you prioritize and how do you? I like, I love the batching and the stacking of passion and what you're doing and like being able to kind of, you know, optimize that. But inevitably, I think something's gonna pull you. And then how do you respond to that? You know, do you have to like, oh no, I, I got to keep everything balanced, or are you gonna go get your PhD and be in academia? You know. What do you think? I think for me, I, I think for me, there's a couple of things. First of all, like the whole like balancing all that stuff. I think that's very true, especially for Stanford students, because I think like Stanford is like probably one of the schools that's like most spoiled with opportunity just because you're surrounded by so many, so much like money and like so many like success stories and so like the valley. It's you're pulled within that direction. You, so a lot of, you know, the Stanford kids, I mean, end up doing like a lot of this entrepreneurship stuff. I mean, myself included, I came in as like a philosophy major, but I gradually um, more leaned in towards the side. I guess what draws, what has like drawn me to um, more of the VC research type of thing, as well as the stuff that I've been doing, experimenting with Web3 and digital publishing, it's kind of like, a, I think it's kind of like a middle ground between what I'm really interested in versus what's going to be paying the bills. And I'm very happy that as, you know, a rising junior, I found kind of like that space for myself. Um, and which is kind of also the reason why I know that after college and stuff, I'm most likely going to be staying in the space, either working on a project or working on a venture. So yeah, 
I think in the long run, like I've thought about like doing academia and all of that stuff. But the problem is I feel like if I'm still, you know, in my early 20s and stuff like that, I want to do, I want to, when I still have the energy to be exploring like a space like crypto, which is so like up and coming and there's so much to do and you can never really get tired of the space. And maybe once, maybe in the future, I might reconsider if I want to do like a PhD in philosophy or stuff like that. But again, those are not my immediate concerns right now. So that's kind of like my, yeah. where my head is at with like kind of balancing interest and kind of like a more career type of stuff. There's actually a class that I think you're probably, you were required to take called Designing Your Life. Dave Evans does that at Stanford. But did you have to take that? I don't think we had to. It might be one of like the one of like the freshman programs, but I took like a special program called Education as as Self Fashioning. It was kind of like similar in the sense that like it was kind of like a writing seminar and um, one was on philosophy. And it's kind of like how do you uh, is like the purpose of like your education? How do you actually like um, you actually grow yourself through like the Stanford education stuff? I think Stanford's pretty good in having these sorts of classes. And they're, yeah, they're based, they're required. There's like a lot of different flavors and a lot of specific classes that you can choose from. But the fact that you had this time, I think it's a perfect website. Yeah. So this designing your life course, it's also a book and they have like designing your career, like it's turned into a series and, and stuff, but it explores like that you are a multitude of worlds that you could do 20,000 things, but yet you only need, you, you really get to pick a subset of that, of all the things that you could possibly do. And like, I, I remember like sitting in, I, I was getting my hair cut and my barber, she was just like so freaking funny. And I was like, I was like, you should totally be a stand-up comic. And she's like, no, I really like cutting hair. And I was, and it's just like, of course, of course, you know, like there's all these things you could do. And, and for me personally, I feel like guilty for not doing those things. But I know that time and place and circumstance, I'm in the place, I'm doing the thing that I'm doing now. And that's how things have happened for me. And yet I could be doing something else, but that's not how it has actually happened. So anyway, but I just find it funny that that came up in my head of like, oh, yeah, Dave Evans, Designing Your Life. That was at Stanford. That Anyway, but you're like the case study, Jay. You can do philosophy, like in philosophy is really tempting. Like academia really... I just love the idea of like sitting around and researching and talking about stuff and like working out these huge ultimate questions, right? Like the especially philosophy, they're so snobby that they think they're like better than science and stuff, you know. Yeah, for sure. That that's definitely true. I mean, I feel like the thing the cool thing about philosophy is that it's one of those things where whichever sector that you kind of end up in, eventually it all goes eventually if you keep on asking one of the why questions, it becomes like a philosophical thing. And I feel like it's a very natural, it's a not very natural question to ask, especially, you know, these like sort of like sour thoughts and like, you know, late night, you know, insomnia kind of thoughts. It's very natural. Uh, <laughs> as for the whole like science and stuff like that, in the end, I, I do feel like a lot of this stuff is derived from philosophy. And sure, like there's a lot of um, most analytical philosophy right now is pivoting back towards like logic and, you know, doing a lot of the math stuff. I personally am not necessarily the biggest fan of that. I think that it should be asking more of like the actual fundamental questions and actually help us to live better lives. But yeah, that's just, yeah. No, sorry, that was kind of like a riff. No, that's what we're all about here, Jay. We riff, we riff, baby, because you just said that. And I'm like, well, the thing about asking the tough questions and the big questions is it prevents building sometimes, right? 
And especially with this race with AI, like every who can build the biggest, fastest, smartest, going to kill us all first, because it's also going to make you a whole ton of money. So you got to be first to the market with it, first mover. And then it's like, well, but actually we should ta- stop and talk about this for a second. But oh, we can't because the genie's already out of the bottle. So anyways, I also want to like, Jay, you laughed, but the listener doesn't know that Talisky and Darby are both philosophy majors as well. And they were offended by my comment about how philosophy thinks it's better than science, but it it totally does. So, and then Talos is also pointing out that we're we're talking we're we're getting a little stoic here. I would say that like no, no, no. philosophy definitely there there is some sort of there is some like Freudian thing there going on. But <laughs> I mean, for me, my focus is more on like more of the modern stuff though. So I mean, I look at Nietzsche, Aristotle, Heidegger. I'm sorry, not Aristotle, Nietzsche, Einstein, stuff like that. Go more on the modern side of things. Of course, there's a lot of Aristotle written through all of those thinkers. But yeah, that's more of my focus there. Yeah, but I think like it's just something that's very useful in, in life. And I think through having that kind of like in mind, like um, you have something to guide you that's more than just like the goal, the goals or like the social expectations that like society sets. You have some more of like a, a drive for it. It's not like you're just doing it for like your reputation or like for fame or stuff like that. And that's kind of like, so for me, it's almost like an anchoring point um, in the long run. And that's what's most valuable for me about philosophy. Yeah. What, one thing that helped me when... I was I was transitioning. I was doing nonprofit marketing, and then I was started getting into crypto because COVID hit. There were layoffs. I got laid off, and it was just like, what do I do with my life? And I had a career coach who really encouraged me to to embrace the ADD that I actually have and the multiple things that I'm interested in, and try to synthesize, you know, a, a career based on you know talents that I have. And even though I didn't necessarily see a job right in front of me that I could go apply for on LinkedIn, that you know it's okay to have a couple different jobs, one in one area of interest, one in another. And so it's really cool to see UJ doing this. And then also it, it, it reminds me like liberal arts education is kind of like that, like a, a smattering of, of things actually really helps you be a well-rounded individual. And you being at Stanford, which is, you know, and then doing the computer stuff and doing the philosophy stuff and seeing how you can wrap all of that in. Whereas like somebody who might be like at a, a purely philosophy of a philosophical school where it's like, no, you got to do pure. Ph-. Anyways, it's cool to see the synthesis. And the more that we're, you know, an internet society, a global society, that's just more and more important. So kudos to you, man. Yeah, thank you. I guess like the thing with Stanford, it's like it's known for being like a tech school. It's known for having like a very strong STEM program. All of the, you know, it's kind of like get rich you, where if you basically drop out, create a startup, get like a, you know, hit gold and then, you know, just retire. But I feel like the thing with Stanford is that the humanities program here is actually very underrated. And there's a lot of resources here. You get, you're able to have a lot more interesting conversations with like these humanities professors and in these like classes where there's like, one less people and two, like the professor is like a lot more willing to talk to you about things that are like outside the syllabus and just general like, you know, life advice and stuff like that. And that's why like I would say that my experience as Stanford studying humanities has actually been a lot better than my experience studying STEM classes, uh, even as like Stanford is known for being. Yeah, that's really great. That's that's cool. I could talk about this all day. 
But I, I would love to. Oh, and so Talisky appreciates the social commentary that we're driving towards multidisciplinary interests where those that can merge disparate interests leads to success. Yes, I love to believe that being a connector is like super huge. I also was at a memorial service for a friend yesterday and people were not like in crypto at all. And so whenever I have conversations with people who aren't in crypto, they always ask me about like, what should I invest in? And I'm like, don't ask me. I build stuff. I don't I don't really invest. But then the other thing was we just started talking about uh, they're like, so where do you think we're going? And I said this yesterday. I don't know if it was just the vibes, but I was like, I don't think we're going to have currency in 20 years. I actually don't think that we're going to use money anymore. It's a very Star Trek next generation. But anyways, all that to say, Jay, you're the researcher. Where do you see us going in crypto? Like, what's the macro? I love how you said the macro is souring. I'm only going to use that in conversation this week. But where where do you see things going for us, oh, researcher? It's It's a very exciting time because we're right. I feel like it's very obvious now that we're seeing like the end of the crypto winter and kind of like the first seeds of like spring are coming along. You know, people are looking at the next halving and stuff like that. I mean, one of the things that I've been looking at recently is kind of like a revival in the whole like Bitcoin ecosystem, whether that's through like ordinals or like more of talk about building like layer twos on top of Bitcoin and all of that stuff. To me, that's very interesting because of just like how much name ID that like Bitcoin as like an ecosystem, as you know, just as a thing has. And like when a lot of people think about crypto, think about Web3, the first thing that they think of is Bitcoin. So if you can unleash Kind of, if you can kind of turn that potential into just a tiny bit of like liquidity or a tiny bit of volume, that upside there is really insane. Again, I'm speaking with like my venture mindset there, but that's a space that I've been paying quite close attention to because I think it's going to be a very interesting space for the next kind of like three to six months. Sorry, not six to 12 months, actually. That's one. Another, another very interesting one that I think is going to be relevant to like a lot of people's everyday lives is the whole idea of like social applications and how kind of like Web3 is moving away from just disrupting finance into disrupting kind of like um, social media applications as well and how we like interact with others. You're beginning to see this with decentralized social graphs, you know, stuff like Lens, Blockbuster, CyberConnect, stuff like that, as well as this new generation of social media pop-up that makes use of these social graphs and kind of like Web3 kind of ideas I've been looking a bit at stuff like Collab and this type of stuff. So this consumer facing stuff, I think, is going to be a big driver within the next 12 months as well. Um, but one thing that still needs to be improved upon a lot is the fact that Web3 has an education problem in, in that it's very hard to get someone who's like non-crypto native and turn them into someone that's crypto native. That's a process that takes, you know, quite a long time and a lot of effort and a lot of, you know, self-motivation and stuff like that. So the question is, how do we implement like abstraction to the point where, you know, for something, for example, like decentralized social, web social becomes something that's only social and not, you know, you don't have to qualify it by saying that it's like decentralized social, web social. That's a very big question. And I think actually AI is going to play a big role in that because one of the good things about AI is it kind of acts as kind of like a flattener in a sense, and that it flattens out these informational asymmetries because it's able to explain something like, you know, if you look at the bytecode on Etherscan or stuff like that, and then you run like an AI engine on top of it, you're able to turn that into a human readable form. That's the thing that like GBT and all these like advanced LLMs are really, really good at. And so I'm very looking forward on seeing how AI is going to be used in order to reduce Web3's kind of like 
educational barriers as well as kind of like barriers to use and how that will actually enable a whole new kind of set of, you know, ways that we actually interact online. Yeah. I think when you talk about AI, one of the things that I really want AI to do is do the stuff I don't want to do. Fill out a profile or, you know, like any any sort of like user action that's that is already on chain. Yeah. Do my taxes. Change the tax code. You know, any anything that basically like that we want users to do. I think AI could probably do better, faster and not make that the engagement metric. So anyways, I've been thinking about that, but also like making making connections and associations. When I open up my Converse app to do Web3 messaging via XMTP, it suggests people to message that have the same POAPs as me, have I've transacted with on-chain, which is really cool. But then there's this whole host of off-chain data that you can also incorporate. So basically, I think that in this new era or this era that we're in, we're building, 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 right? It's bear. It's the bear. Everybody says that we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, which the more times people say that, I'm like, no, we're still not out of the bear yet. <laughs> but I feel like we're still going wide. We're still like in the pre-internet or we're in like the AOL days of like, what else can we do? But we're also trying to web to app it as well. And so I feel like there needs to be like this like tightening and this like kind of like laser beaming of like, no, these are like the suite of killer apps that we're focusing on, maybe. I don't know. But I, at ETHCC, I heard over and over again, the infra's there. We've got all the infra we need. Now let's build apps. And then now post ETHCC, it's like, no, maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's not the case. Yeah, I think like um, the, the problem again is like, how do you drive the narrative back? I think it's not necessarily apps per se, but kind of like, more a lot of a lot of like what actually intrigues people and actually onboard people into like crypto in the first place is they hear about it from other people i mean of course like number go up people go people get interested um a lot of it's actually to do with like media and how do you market it out to the audience and also how do you reduce that barrier of entry to the point where it's like the educational cost of entering into entering into crypto is not actually that high so those i think are going to be very important. Of course, apps are going to play a big role in that because a lot of the times if you open, like if you think about something like Step N in the last cycle, it was like a way that really was able to onboard a lot of new people. It was basically the killer app of like the last cycle. Unfortunately, it is no longer the killer app of, yeah. <laughs> but at its peak, of course, it was something, it was a very simple concept and it's very like you could walk and then earn money. Like it's a very intuitive appeal to people. So we, I think to build like these successful apps, you have to turn it into like a short, you know, one sentence description. And it's like, oh, for example, Co-app is like a great example of this. For example, you can make, you can let all of your event like tickets stay on chain forever. So stuff like this, and then you integrate like a novel, like social experience. It's the creations of like new social experiences rather than like on-chain for on-chain sake, I think, or like financialization for financialization sake. I think that's like a big misconception within like the industry, like within the crypto industry as well. Because a lot of the times when you talk about you know, Web3 social, Web3 gaming, you say something like GameFi or SocialFi, you always add in the whatever Fi on the end. But I believe that it's not necessarily the financialization that's going to be the biggest draw, but the creation of new experiences. Perhaps tokenization or financialization is maybe one way that you can do that. For example, if you look at friends.tech, Right through, like, you know, basically tokenizing all of these influencer shares, you're able to create 
a new form of access or a new form of ex social experience. But I think that's, it's these sorts of things that are going to be the enablers of new experiences. It's not the financialization itself. That's the important part. No, that's really good. I, I, re I appreciate it. You're such a writer. I love how you're forming your thoughts and how you're communicating them. And I love that you brought up friend tech, which is the financialization of friends. But it's so funny to see like I had I basically no one was posting anything on the app. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to sell all my shares and everybody except for Darby, of course, because Darby gave me the invite and we're locked in. Darby's mooning. I know it. And, and mooning not even financially. Just anyway. But you know what I'm saying. So, so, but I got all these messages of people who are like, WTF, man, why'd you sell my shares? How dare you? Like, it was like this personal thing. And I'm like, well, you're not using it. You're not posting it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to stick around. And now I'm not going to go back, buy back in because you're too expensive now. So it's just really interesting to see that kind of thing happen as well as bases on chain summer stuff. In Coinbase, Brian Armstrong coming out and saying like, hey, we have not figured out any of these bridging, modal, like like all of these use UX stuff. It's just like Coinbase is like the pinnacle of crypto and user experience. And yet like base and on-chain summer, it's it's difficult, right? I think it's great because I use the rest of crypto and it's, and it's garbage. You know, a lot of UX and crypto is garbage. So, but even Coinbase comes out and says, Hey, we're nowhere near ready. We've got uh, like the, we've got our employees dog fooding this stuff, um, getting frustrated with thing with it, logging all of the issues. So yeah, it's really cool to see that. But I do agree. You, it's this the mix of on chain, off chain, the mix of Web two and Web three to create these new interesting products that are also decentralized and are also you know have these other advantages that we hold so dear in crypto. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think like. For example, like Web3, like na Web3 native, like social is obviously not mature yet. Otherwise, like we would not be hosting this podcast on Discord, <laughs> right? And like so much would not be happening on like, you know, Discord, Telegram, Twitter, all of these very, very Web2 type of applications. At the same time, it's very interesting to see how some of these applications are trying to pivot towards or incorporate some sort of like Web3 element to it. I've been looking recently at, for example, Reddit Moons. Um, of course, following their recent listing, <laughs> they literally have been mooning. It's a very, oh, it's like, how do you actually bootstrap off of like a Web2 social network? And through that kind of like add on, say, like tokenization or some incentive mechanism, and then turn it into something that is Web3. I think that's going to be a very important path going forward. Um, and so like, how do you, how do you basically leverage platforms that people are already familiar with? Well, that's like Reddit or, you know, Instagram, stuff like that. And then build more like enhanced functionality that you couldn't have with just Web2, like on top of it. But again, like the key question that I'm looking at is does this actually create like a new form of social experience? If it doesn't, then just on chain for on chain's sake, it's not going to be a compelling kind of, it's not going to be a compelling reason for Web3 to act, for Web3 like social app and stuff to like actually grow. Okay, so you said the O word, you said ordinals, and we have actually never talked about ordinals on the pod, but I'm a WASI, I'm in the WASI community as well, and there's like a whole obsession with ordinals and BRC20s, and so you being the first guest that has actually like talked about this um, as a thing that people should be paying attention to, can you just kind of give me the case for ordinals and, and like ways, ways that the Pull Together community could engage with ordinals? 
This is, <laughs> I've opened Pandora's box here, unfortunately. <laughs> but I think that, I think just like from like a macroscopic perspective, it's like Bitcoin is like the most decentralized, it's the most well-known, you know, blockchain that there is out there. It's the most, you know, it's the most liquid coin. There's so much stuff going on there. But even though it's got the most name ID and stuff, all of the innovation and all of that, all of like the true, like, you know, smart contracts and all of that happens within the Ethereum ecosystem. So how do we actually port all of that back onto Bitcoin and to actually leverage Bitcoin like utility and stuff like that to create like a very native like DeFi ecosystem? That for me is a very exciting prospect. And I think Ordinals plays like a very big role in that by just like reducing the amount of like, you know, by, re- by abstracting away all the like the nasty technical implementations that like Bitcoin's UTXO model kind of brings there and allowing things to be a lot simpler. To some extent, like Stacks and Lightning also do that, but I think it's just like abstracting away all the technical details and then allowing people to build these like upper level kind of like new ways of like transacting value or like new ways of new ecosystems, whether that's like through NFTs or through like DeFi and stuff like that on the Bitcoin ecosystem. I think it's going to be a very compelling narrative going forward. And that's definitely a space that I'm really like looking right now. So is there like it's a like, certain... Yeah. Good. Because, you know, we've already seen kind of like the success story with like Ethereum and that like you see like the DeFi ecosystem, NFT ecosystem kind of like blue So if you think of that as kind of like a year, you can basically just rep. I think it's not a stretch of imagination to like basically replicate that on Bitcoin and have like an ecosystem that is basically on the same scale as Ethereum there. Yeah. So what I was going to ask is, is there like a site or a place or a thing, you know, how can you, how can like somebody get like onchain summer.xyz is like a really great base bridging something you can do on base immediately. So is there something that, that that's similar for ordinals? I don't actually, I'm not actually that. I don't actually know. I mean, like there's like a lot of like, I'm not familiar with like ordinals, like it's like the stuff itself. I'm just like talking more just like as like a space in general. Yeah, yeah. I think just like looking at some of like the, for example, like some of like the NFTs marketplaces, like I know that Magic Eden has like a big like ordinals thing. So it's just, I think stuff like that would be really interesting to just look at as like a first step. Yeah. Yeah, Magic Eden sounds, sounds great. Yeah, cool. I'm not super familiar with like the actual like intricate details of like the ordinal stuff, but yeah, <laughs> it's definitely like the overall space is like very exciting. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, well, let's let's wrap it up here, Jay. I want to see if you had anything else you want to talk about or promote before we we sign off. Yeah, I think like if you guys are if you guys like what we're doing at Stanford Blockchain Club, feel free to support us at Stanford Blockchain Week. That's August 26th to 31st on Stanford campus. And also, I mean, I run the I'm partial to the Stanford Blockchain Review. You can find it's like review.stanfordblockchain.xyz. We publish stuff with like the graphic for. I recently just released an interview that I did with Scrani from, you know, Ave and Lens on basically how Lens was, you know, pioneering like new forms of like social experience. So feel free to check that out. That's just like my obligatory like advertisement there. But yeah. Awesome. Well, Jay, thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for dropping the link. Review.stanfordblockchain.xyz is the newsletter. This looks awesome. Cool, man. All right. Thank you for having me. It was a great pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it was awesome. I love talking philosophy and, you know, learning a little bit about Ordinals. Thanks, Tal Sky, Darby. 
Thanks for listening to the Pool Together Community Podcast. You can visit pooltogether.com to deposit, and we'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode. So visit the Pool Together Discord and let us know.